Well, good to see all of you here. Today what we're going to do is begin this new series on Paul. And we're going to look at the life of a man who has made a huge impact in our world. And Paul, you see this picture here, the artist who puts together a lot of our graphics here, he was, we asked that he would draw up this figure with the look of this man who's extremely determined and focused. And you see the map behind him because the scope of his impact, and the, the scope of his ministry and the impact of his life spread through this whole region of the world. In the Mediterranean, then up north, heading towards Europe, just across the Roman Empire, and kind of the epicenter of the major part that was shaping culture in that world. This man in the first century just made a tremendous impact. Now, if you've been coming around here for a while, you've probably heard us talk about Paul, and you've heard this name come up a lot. Paul said this. Paul, it's because this is one of the key New Testament authors that God used. God inspired his this man's writings as he wrote letters to churches and to individuals. And so you recognize some of the verses we're going to look at or the places we're going to refer to from some of those uh, those verses and, and books in the Bible that you've more than likely heard us read or you've read for yourself. If you're newer to church, though, we get to introduce this guy to you maybe for the first time. And so over the next four weeks, we're going to look at the life of this man, Paul. And so you might be wondering, how, how could a man who lived so long ago in the first century matter that much to me? And why would you call him the most influential man in his world? Like, that's a pretty bold claim. Now, I don't know if you have seen these commercials before, but there's these commercials frequently playing right now about the most interesting man in the world. And uh, here, here is, here's a picture of this man. He's got these outlandish claims. Okay, He claims to line dance in a circle. Okay, Who can pull that off? Apparently he can. He Other commercials, he has... You know, he has shirts that don't wrinkle. <laughs> he is both left-handed and right-handed. He, you know, his business card simply says, I'll call you. And so, he's apparently a pretty interesting, important man. But when it comes to Paul, the guy we're looking at, we're, looking at, we're, we're not making this stuff up. Some of the stories we're going to share, he was a real person who lived in the first century. And Paul had this tremendous influence in his world. He was both interesting, but also extremely influential with his life. And as we look at his life, you're going to find that you have more in common with Paul than you probably thought. So we're going to ask the question first, who is Paul? Who, who is this, this man? I'm going to invite you to take out your listening guide here. Before he became a Christian, Paul, in Jewish standards, was about as successful as they come. Okay, he was about as successful as they come, according to Jewish standard. He represented the very best of Jewish culture and the religious system. In his, in his world, he mattered. And in, in what really mattered in his society, he had the bragging rights, if anybody did. In fact, these words really sum up some of his upbringing and some of his accomplishment. Philippians chapter 3, verses 4 through 7. Take a look where he kind of writes about his upbringing and accomplishments. Philippians 3, 4. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. And then he starts listing these things. He says, of himself, he was circumcised on the eighth day, of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. And so, what does all this mean? First, he says, he was circumcised on the eighth day. This was the practice of pure-blooded Jews. And he's just highlighting the fact that he had practiced and followed the customary Jewish laws and rituals, only days after he was born. He started, 
parents sent him on that process and then away he went. He just followed very closely what a, what a practicing Jew would do. And then he says this phrase, of the people of Israel. His parents were both Jewish and so his lineage could be traced all the way back to Abraham who's the father of the nation of Israel. So he, he can kind of trace that back because his parents were both Jewish. And then he says, of the tribe of Benjamin. This tribe is one of the 12 tribes of the people of Israel. Like the, the major family where things formed one of the sons was named Benjamin, and, and so he was of that tribe. And the tribe of Benjamin was an esteemed and honored tribe. It's actually the tribe where the first king came from, was from the tribe of Benjamin, a man named Saul. Saul started well, and then, he, or, you know, he started off well, and he, he didn't finish well with his life. But, Paul came through that line, through that tribe. In today's terms, it would be like if you were to say, you know what? I'm related to George Washington. And we'd all be like, whoa, that's amazing. We would all be fascinated because the stories that you could probably pass down to us, we would want to hear those stories, wouldn't we? I mean, he's this, he's this leader and you might think, yeah, I'm a better leader because I'm related to George Washington, my great, great, great ancestor. Well, Paul, he, he, he could claim these bragging rights because of his lineage and heritage. Then he says this, a Hebrew of Hebrews, he said of himself. This is again highlighting the fact that he was a pure-blooded Jew. And we might say, he was a guy of good stock. Okay, He was of good stock in their culture. And all of these things just kept increasing his influence. It goes on and says at the bottom, as to the law, a Pharisee. Next slide says, as to zeal... A persecutor, like, how zealous are you? He's like, well, I'll tell you how zealous I was. I was a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. Okay? Let's break this down a little bit. A Pharisee, if you back up to that, he's basically claiming to be a Pharisee to the law. The Pharisees were the strictest religious sect of his people. And he was like a card-carrying, badge-wearing member of that group. He was a Pharisee. These guys kept the law to the teeth. They even had laws on top of the laws that they tried to follow. And so they went beyond God's words and started writing up some of their own laws. And uh, they crossed many lines as they tried to do that. But he was one of those guys that was really trying to live strict in those ways. Then he says he was a persecutor, a zealous persecutor of the church. He, he took part in persecuting those who believed that Jesus was God's son. Because as a strict Jew, he rejected the fact that Jesus... Was, you know, Jesus was claiming to be the Messiah. Others were claiming Jesus is the Messiah. And many people rejected that. Because for the most part, the religious leaders of Judaism had a very different picture in their mind of what the Messiah needed to look like. He needed to be a military conqueror who would deliver God's people from the Roman occupation. And so they had always seen in their history captivity and deliverance. Captivity because of sin, and then God would raise up a deliverer. And so they were kind of looking for someone to to carry that out again. And so their picture was that Jesus would ride in on this horse and like in battle gear, or the Messiah would do this. And and here's Jesus, humble. He's he's strong, but he's under control. He wasn't, and so they rejected him. Because Jesus didn't match their expectations. Even though Jesus' life, his ministry, his message was supported with hundreds of Old Testament prophecies, there were many that just said, no, we're going to wait. This must not be him. And so because of that, he began to persecute the Christian church, the, the followers of Jesus. And so he was there standing 
at the at the first Christian martyr. The first Christian that died was a man named Stephen. You can read about it in Acts chapter 7. And it says that as the people picked up stones to throw at this Christian, so as these Jewish religious leaders and this Jewish mob, in a sense, went to stone this guy, it says that they took off their robes and they laid their robes at a young man named Saul. And the picture we get is that Saul was standing there in approval of this of this murder of this Christian man. And he, he was standing in approval and he was guarding the robes of these people to make sure no one was taking their belongings or running off with their stuff. But he was, he was like a young, rising leader. Okay? It says this, As to righteousness under the law, he claims to be blameless. What this means is a pretty strong claim. It does not mean perfection, but what this means is any time he stepped out of line from God's laws, he, 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 he made it right. He, he went through the rituals in order to find forgiveness, and he did the things that God said in the Old Testament in order to get right with God. And so he was, he was trying to be blameless. There was no hidden sin, he was saying. He was claiming nothing hidden in the, in the closet. I just deal with my stuff, and I've been blameless before God. And so in his own eyes, he thought he lived a pretty faultless life based on what mattered in his world. But then he says this, verse 7, But whatever gain I had, you know, all these accomplishments, you know, I'm a Pharisee, I'm, I'm those who persecuted the church, I'm of this family, he's stacking up all these accomplishments. Whatever gain I have, this giant pile, I counted that as loss for the sake of Christ. He was willing to walk away from all that. He was willing to say, that was almost like a penalty. That was a loss. So he ends this resume with this huge turning point which we're going to get to what changed and what caused the turn in a few moments. But up until this point, he's expressing that he was the epitome of Jewish religious life. He really was the most influential man in his world. I like, I like that line now because of the commercial. It's it building in me. Like Paul was the most influential man in his world. Just imagine that you had lived up to everything that really mattered in today's society. That was Paul. I mean, he, he was really trying to measure up for the things that mattered. And Paul, for his culture, he was, he was really the man. So what, what would have happened that he would give all that up? Why did his life dramatically change in the way that he did? I want to read about his turning point. You find it in Acts 9. So if you brought a Bible, you can flip to Acts 9, verses 1 through 19 is what we're going to look at. The book of Acts is the fifth book in the Bible. It's... It's in the New Testament, which is the second section. There's two major uh, sections of the Bible. So the second section is the New Testament. The fifth book there is the book of Acts. And Acts just means, these are the Acts. These are the actions of the church leaders. These are the Acts of the Apostles. So these were the, the works of God's church leaders and the, the people who were uh, leading out. So, one other thing to note before we read it is that Saul is Paul. So when it's talking about we're going to read about Saul. That's actually Paul. Same guy. In that culture, people would have, it was common for people to have dual names. And so Saul was his Hebrew name, and Paul was his Roman name. And, and the further away from the Jewish kind of culture and, and major uh, hotbeds, Jerusalem, the further away from Jerusalem that he went, the more that it would make sense to use his Roman name of Paul. And so... We often talk about Paul. It's because most of his influence was outside of Jerusalem in more of the Gentile regions. And so that's, that's why we use the name Paul. But here is really before that. This is when he's still Jewish before his conversion. So he's referred to as Saul. So let's look at verse 1 in chapter 9. It says, But Saul, still breathing threats 
and murder against the disciples of the Lord. So, a couple chapters before this, he was standing in approval of a murder of a Christian, the first Christian. So he's still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. He went to the high priest and he asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. He was going to a new town to find out in the synagogue who was there, and he wanted to find out who, if any of them, were followers of Jesus. Okay, He was going to kind of the religious center, the synagogue, and he was looking for Christians. And he went to the Jewish high priest to find out, give me the names of the people that live in that town who are part of that synagogue. I want to find out who the followers of the way are. And he's, his intention is to round up Christians to bring them back to Jerusalem to either have them recant or to have them killed. Verse 3 says, Now as he went on his way, he's a man on a mission, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city and you will be told what you are to do. Now the men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground and although his eyes were open, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. So they bring him into the city where he was heading. And for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. Verse 10, now there was a disciple at Damascus. Now this, he's a Christian man. Okay, there was a disciple, that's a follower of Jesus, at Damascus named Ananias. This would have been one of those guys that Saul more than likely would have wanted to round up and bring with him back to Jerusalem. Ananias would have feared Saul because the reputation of Saul was already circulating. So there was a man, you know, a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight. So that's the name of Street. Straight Street. Go to Straight Street. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying, and he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he may regain, might regain his sight. Now imagine for a moment, you're Ananias. You get this, you have this conversation with the Lord. And and he says, "Hey Saul, you're going to meet this guy named Saul. He's from, you know, he's he's back from he's from Tarsus." Ananias is like, "Wait, I know that name. I know. That. Oh wait, he's he wants me. You want me to go there?" Jesus is like, "Yeah, I've told him. You know, through this vision, a man named Ananias is going to be involved in in the next step. So imagine that's you. That'd be a frightening moment." Verse thirteen. But Ananias answered. And this is a funny answer, I think. Lord. I have heard from many about this man. How much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. <laughs> He's probably shaking, you know. Because this guy's a murderer coming to our town. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Verse 17, So Ananias departed. Now we could stop there and preach a whole sermon on Ananias and the faith that it took to trust Jesus in a vulnerable place like this. And to just put your life in, in God's hands in that way. We're not going to do that though. But you, you can ponder that at some other time. 
So Ananias departed and he entered the house and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he arose and he was baptized and taking food, he was strengthened. That's Paul's turnaround story. That's his conversion story. And Paul then, he took this mission to heart. The fact that he would be God's chosen instrument to reach the Gentile world, the non-Jewish world, to take the gospel of Jesus Christ to those who were far from God, who had not yet heard about Jesus Christ, and begin to spread that message to impact, you know, to the ends of the earth, is what Jesus commissioned his disciples. Paul was a key player in that. And God just used him to really spread this movement forward. I want to show you an interactive kind of timeline. It's a timeline with a, with a guy's voice behind it that's highlighting Paul's ministry and journeys up until his death. And so you'll, you'll begin to hear some uh, familiar you know, cities and books from the Bible mentioned in this video. Let's go ahead and roll that. Jesus uh, was crucified and rose from the dead uh, for all practical purposes, 33 uh, A.D. And then the church uh, began. And then Antioch becomes the center of the movement, not Jerusalem. They were kicked out of Jerusalem. And then the Apostle Paul goes on a missionary journey. He's sent from the church of Antioch, and that's his first journey, goes into southern Turkey. His second journey, he goes back and sees those churches. And then Paul starts his uh, third journey. And on his third journey, he is raising support for the poor in Jerusalem. He goes back to the original churches, goes to Ephesus. He spends two years in Ephesus and he writes a letter to the church at Corinth, 1 Corinthians. Then he goes back to Macedonia, which is the area that Philippi, Berea, and Thessalonica are in. He writes a, a second letter to the Corinthians from Philippi, that's 2 Corinthians. And then he travels down from Macedonia, travels back uh, to Corinth, and then he stays a good while. Uh, in Corinth. And while he's in Corinth, this is all about in Acts 20, he writes the letter to the church in Rome. And then he leaves uh, Corinth, goes back to Macedonia, goes to Philippi again. This will be his last time in Philippi. Goes back to uh, the coast and then to Jerusalem where he's arrested. Paul's arrested and he spends two years in a jail in Caesarea along uh, the ocean. And then because he's a Roman citizen, he appeals uh, to the emperor. And after those two years, he then travels and he's shipwrecked on his way to Rome, goes to Rome. And he is under a kind of a house arrest while he is in Rome. While he's in Rome, he writes what we call the prison letters, the prison epistles. And Philippians is one of those. So there were a few other prison letters that he wrote at that point. What, what that guy just did is he traced through the book of Acts, you know, starting with where Paul kind of enters around Acts 9. And then he begins to just show... In the book of Acts, there's 28 chapters. You can read just the progression of Paul's missionary journeys. He goes on these three journeys. He's sharing the gospel. He's training people. He's starting churches. He's appointing leaders. He's coaching those leaders. He's writing letters back to them. And he keeps visiting them as he has opportunity. Not, not all received a second visit, but he was able to 
to reach out to them through letters. And so, if you were to, again, open your Bible up, the book of Acts that we read about his conversion, the very next book is the book of Romans. So if you move to the next, just the next books of the Bible, these are all of Paul's letters now. So from the very next book, from Romans on, you get 13 letters of Paul. There's 27 books in the New Testament, so 13 of the 27. Paul authored, God inspired him to write these letters to churches or to people. So the book of Romans is Paul's letter to the church at Rome. The next one, 1 Corinthians, is Paul's letter to the church in Corinth. And then there's a second letter to them. And there's a, there's a correspondence going on between you know, the letter number one and the letter number two. They're writing letters back to him. He's receiving messages through messengers. And he's responding in 2 Corinthians to some of the challenges that they were facing in their church. And um, some of the correction, because he had to correct some issues in the church of Corinth. In the first Corinthians, you read about those things that they were doing that was out of line. By the time you get to second Corinthians, they saw that you'd, they had dealt with the problem. So he's writing kind of like a, a letter of joy and encouragement to them that they'd, they'd sorted through some of those things. And as you keep going further, you get more of his letters. You know, Galatians, Ephesians, these are all cities. Ephesus is modern day Turkey. Philippi, Greece. Thessalonica, there, there's all these different cities that he's, he's writing to, the church in those cities. Then you come to 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, Titus, Philemon. Those are, those are leaders, those are individuals he's writing letters to. And again, God is using this to instruct his church. Through this man, God is, is giving organization to the church. He's giving guidelines for how people... What do people need to know about family life? Paul would write a letter about husbands and wives. What about, what about coworkers or bosses to employ? Paul would write a letter about how do people relate to their bosses? Um, how should you work on the job? You're writing letters. And so, basically, these letters would be received by these churches and then they would copy the letters. They would circulate it around the region to the other churches. And, and that's really, you know, the, a major portion of our New Testament. That's, that's how that all came together. Now, we, we read this and we gain instruction still. Sometimes I, I hit an issue in, in leading in church life and as I read through Paul's letters and his instructions to the church, I find the exact answer that I needed to the problem that we're facing because Paul is addressing challenges to the churches. Well, we face very similar things today. But as you saw in this video, he eventually lands in Rome and he's under house arrest, he's on trial. And while he's on trial, he testifies before the Roman leaders and the emperor and then eventually he's beheaded for his faith. He won't turn away from it. He's beheaded before the emperor. And, but his death only strengthened the church. It only propelled the movement forward because at that point, the Christian movement was this unstoppable force that couldn't be extinguished through threats of persecution. And Paul's life, it gets redirected, but then he becomes the main pioneer of the Christian movement. God just leads him to reach that the Gentile world and help raise up people who would eventually get the gospel to the ends of the earth. Eventually, you know, it goes beyond Europe to the Americas. You know, the spread of the gospel, God used this guy to get the ball rolling. So now, what, what does this mean for us here and now? There's three things I want to highlight. The first one is this. First is that grace is offered to those who try to prove their worth but come up short. This was Paul. Paul worked really hard at trying to do what he thought mattered in his culture and his society. He was trying to keep all the rules. He was building a life of good, strict discipline. And that's many of us. We, we think, man, I'm just going to put a really good polish on my life and put a nice life together. I'm going to dress myself up. I'm going to try to 
you know, get degrees on the wall. I'm going to have accomplishments. I'm going to be better than anyone else. I'm going to work harder than everyone else. I'm going to keep the rules better than everyone else. I'm going to make up for my sin. You know, I'm going to do all this stuff. And you polish up your life, just like Paul. But you find out, I'm trying to prove my worth and I keep coming up short. He was so strict. If you think, you know, he was so strict that he was intent on extinguishing the, the troublemakers to Judaism. He, he loved his God so much and he loved his religion so much that he was willing to round up and take care of this problem by persecuting followers of the way. And there's so much valuable lessons to learn. Just because you're doing what you think matters doesn't make it right. Are we trying to pile up accomplishments hoping that if I just can be good enough, if I just polish up my life enough to prove my worth, maybe God will accept me into heaven. Are you trying to work your way into heaven? That's, that's really what was going on. He was trying to you know, stack up good works. But Paul found that his approach was going to be useless because compared to Jesus, once he understood fully what Jesus had done and that Jesus was perfect, and Jesus was offering to him forgiveness of his sins through his shed blood on the cross, and that Paul didn't need to work harder to be approved by God. He could simply receive God's grace and forgiveness. He realized, wow, we need grace. We don't need more work. We need grace. That's something we need to remember. And if you're still working to, to save yourself, that's an empty pursuit. You'll never work hard enough. You'll never be able to, to clean up the blemishes because our sin... Our sin has to be dealt with. It has to be covered. And and there's no way. Our default in life is to sin. And so to connect with a holy and righteous God, somebody has to forgive us of that sin. The only one who could really do that once and for all is the perfect Son of God who never sinned, who offered up His life in our place to cover the penalty of our rebellion. Another thing about Paul's story and what it means for us is grace is offered to those who think they're too far gone. No matter how far gone you think you are, God's grace is sufficient to cover, to, to forgive your sin. Take a look at what Paul says of himself in 1 Timothy 1.15. He says, This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the chief. Paul is saying, look, I was the chief sinner. I thought I was doing good, but I wasn't. When I really, when it comes down to it, I was doing things my own way instead of following God's way for a living. Here was a guy that was so opposed, again, to Christianity that he was breathing out, on his way to his conversion, he was breathing out murderous threats. I I read the first verse of chapter 9, of Acts 9, and I think, wow, God got a hold of him at this pivotal moment where he's just on a rampage. And I've met some people who appear way out of reach. Like, wow, I don't know if this person's ever going to turn their life to, to the Lord. It would seem that sometimes we hit a point where we're beyond rescue. And in our own minds, we might think, you know what, I'm way too far gone. But Jesus came, Paul was saying, is Jesus came to salvage the wreckage of our lives, of our sinful lives. And you and I, we've all hit some low, low points where we thought to ourselves, how could God love a person like me? We've all thought that. You do this one thing, you think this one thing, and then again and again, we, oh God, I won't do that again, I won't think that again, and we do it again, and we think that again, and then how could a person, how could God forgive a person like me? 
And maybe that's where you're at. And Paul would say, look, I'm so embarrassed about how far off track I really was. I was murdering. I was wanting to murder Christians. And God was so kind to save me. One last point here is God, He gets our attention to help us live for what really matters. That's Paul's story. Again, He got His attention. What's so interesting about Paul's story, it's not just about what personally happened to Paul, but the, the method he used to get his attention. And the timing. Paul was, again, he was living his life based on his own set of priorities and values, yet his life makes this traumatic turn in the moment when God got his attention. It, it took him being traveling on a road, being knocked down to the ground, and being blinded. Think about those circumstances there. Most of us are never going to be, if, you, if you've not yet received Christ, or if you have, your story wasn't probably like this, to where you were just going along and something supernatural happened like this. Most of the time, it's, it's God gets our attention in other ways. But for Paul, like there was this huge event in his life. Jesus, you know, encounter, he encounters Christ on the road. At one point, Paul is telling his story in Acts 26, he's telling a story in Rome to one of the kings. And he's on trial and he, he inserts this. Now look at this. This is his conversion, but he's, he's sharing this to a king. He says, When we had fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Again, that's Jesus. Why are you persecuting me? And then he, he says this. this doesn't, you don't find this in Acts 9. You find it here in Acts 26. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. You're like, what's a goad? <laughs> Goads were spikes that were used to provoke an animal to get them to steer in a certain direction or if they're wanting to pull off track or have some food or stop and rest. The goads were the spikes at the end of a stick in order to provoke the animal to keep going or to get in line. So is Jesus saying, why are you resisting me? Why, why are you not letting me get your attention you're fighting a, a useless fight here. You're, why are you kicking against the goads? This is going to hurt the longer you persist. And I'm thinking about all of the things that this, this spike represents. Jesus was saying, look, it's, usual, it's useless to fight me on this one. You're not going to win this battle. Because Jesus had a plan for this man. He was his chosen instrument to take the gospel message to the Gentile world. And this is a great picture and represents where so many of us are at in our lives and in our struggles. We're traveling down a road on a destination that leads to a place that's really important to us. And yet so many times we never stop to ask, is where I'm headed in my life actually going the right direction? Am I, actually, am I serving a, a greater purpose here or am I just serving my own needs and interests? We can get on autopilot mode without ever considering are my plans important to God? Are my identity is my identity are my goals are those all wrapped up in what I think is important or have I taken the time to consider what really matters to God? Paul he was he was focused on what would matter to his world not yet to what mattered really to God. You you may be investigating Christianity, you might be here and and maybe you're following your own you know Goals and values. God got Paul's attention. What about what about you? What is it God is using in your life to get your attention? How, how does God get our attention today? Let's just wrap up with this. How does God get our attention?
pressures in life is one area. One way he does this. He, he allows us to face pressure. He doesn't remove the pressure. He doesn't... Sometimes you say, God, get me out of this pinch. And God says, I'm using this to grow you. I'm using this to strengthen you. I'm doing something through this. When we face trouble and we are extended beyond our, our own human resources, we finally hit the point where we say, God, I, I, I don't know what to do. I need your help. I don't know how many times I've prayed that prayer. <laughs> and you prayed that prayer. God, I need your help. I'm way in over my head here. But the pressure in life, or through others, through people in our lives, is another way God gets our attention. God brings people along who will challenge us. And because of their life, we see things very differently because of their example, because of their priorities. And it, and it God uses that to, to redirect us. Or reading the Scripture. Times of transition. Moves, job losses, breakups, new children, exhaustion from all of that. There's all of these things that happen in our life. God gets our attention. And it's like, God, this is so hard. And it's like the goad again. <laughs> it's like, I'm trying to get your attention. Why don't you call upon me? Why don't you respond to me and allow me to, to use this time to shape some new things in you, to give you a new perspective to give you a vision and a, and a purpose for your life. Reading through the Scriptures does as well. God gets our attention as we, we begin to just spend regular time reading His Word. His Word guides and encourages. It illuminates right from wrong. Another way that God gets our attention very often is through our finances. Through our, through our wallet. Sometimes it's through blessing. We, we may begin to consider, God, how do you want me to use these resources that you've entrusted to me? And, and God moves our heart towards, towards kingdom things because we learn to rely on Him in a, in a, in a scary way, in a, in a risky way even. Or the opposite, we may be struggling with our finances and God is saying, look, you, you can't do this on your own. You can't control your world, world by paying for it or by, by hoarding or, or protecting yourself. You're going to have to trust me. And so He uses all of these things in our lives like the goad in Paul's life, to get our attention because he loves us. And so the big question, and I want to invite our worship team to come up right now, and the big question for all of us is, what is God using right now to get your attention? And for what purpose? What is God using right now to get your attention? And for what purpose? We, we've covered a lot of historical information and so the last thing we would want, or the last thing I would want, is that you'd leave just going, well, that's helpful. I know more about Paul. That's good. We talk about that guy. Now I know why we talk about that guy. Got some helpful facts. You know, I, I, the most influential man guy. Yeah, it's like the commercial. Yeah, that's good. Let's go to lunch. If only for that. But see, what is God doing in your life to get your attention? And, and, and Why? What's the purpose for the challenges you're facing right now? I guarantee it's not just, it's not for your pain. It's not just because God enjoys us going through pain. and It's out of His great love for us that, that He uses these different things to get our attention for a greater purpose. In a moment, we're going to wrap up our service. And if you take out that connection card on the back, there's these next steps. You can bring all three of the next steps up. Might be a point at a point where you're 
You feel like, you know what? I have never yielded my life to Jesus Christ. I'm, I'm actually literally on the road to Damascus like Paul. I'm just doing what matters in my own life. And maybe I feel like today God is saying, Hey, why are you kicking against the goads? Why are you fighting against me? Why are you persecuting, poking at who I am and, and the role that I play in this world? Why, why, why are you not yielding to me? If you're at that point... Check this and let us just begin to correspond with you. We'll send you some information. We'd love to dialogue with you to clarify. What does it mean to become a follower of Jesus Christ? Second, identify an area God's using to get my attention. This is going to change through the years, but what is it right now? What is that pressure point right now? If you could identify what that is. And then we want to encourage you to come back and be part of this whole series as we look at the life of this remarkable man. As the band is playing, I want you to consider. We're just going to take a moment for you to pray. And let's pull these questions up, these two questions up. How may be God trying to get my attention? Is God trying to redirect? And and then, why? God, what is the purpose right now for for what you're doing? Would you just bow your head, close your eyes, and let's just pray. I'm just going to lead us and then just give some silence for us to just talk to God. Father, we just come before you right now. We invite you to speak very pointedly and candidly with us, Lord. How are you trying to get our attention and then why? What is it that you want for us in this life? Thank you for speaking to us. Help us to obey you. Help us to respond to the things you're using to to get our attention, Lord. Help us not to resist you. Help us to cooperate with you, God, and respond to you today. And yield to you as the Lord of our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.